Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it is Brian Emhauser, and uh, back with uh, another episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, I don't know what number this is, we're in like the 50s or maybe approaching 60. Uh, and as always, we have a great show, we're going to be talking a lot about um, what's going on with the Hawks and uh, catching up a little bit on the Super Bowl that uh, <laughs> we have not had a chance to, to hash out here uh, amongst the crew. Um, we have our full crew, including the newly quaffed uh, Nathan Ernst uh, at NathanE11 on Twitter. Nathan, good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, and then we've got uh, at Real Jeff Simmons up there in Toronto. How's it going, Jeff? Um, it's all right. Um, we're going. We're getting the snow. You guys are now. Oh, really? So, yeah. are you guys eating all the kale and bread? Is that what happened <laughs> in Toronto? No, we're we're used to this. We get this every year, unfortunately. So. Yeah, it, it was a little bit remarkable to see that Oregon ran out of kale. Like, I, I that's not what I thought the first thing, but hipsters unite. So, um, uh, and then we've got troll, trolly, troll, troll in Arizona. Uh, uh, Evan, uh, at Evan on HB. How you doing, dude? I am doing so well. My weekend was going not so great. And then on Sunday, I realized the Rams lost the Super Bowl. And my whole week turned around. So I am doing phenomenal. That is pretty fun. That is pretty fun. So, Jeff, uh, we're getting close to free agency and franchise tags and draft stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I'm assuming you're going to want us to start with the Super Bowl. I think what Evan said is a definite common thought in the Seahawks fan base. And we debated last time we were on. That was the week before the Super Bowl but whether to root for the Rams or Patriots. And I think the consensus was to root for none of them. So that game had to be pleasing if you were taking on that perspective because both teams were hard to watch. And the Rams, and we've been critical of Jared Goff on the show, he for better, for more or less, shit the bed on the biggest stage of his career. So I can see it. Whoa, that was uh, going throughout that game is the. All right, Jeff, we got a little bit of a the snowstorm. It might be affecting your bandwidth for a second. So, so oh God, here we go. 
Give me a minute. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna step in. Nathan, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you were maybe one of the few on the panel who was interested in maybe the Patriots losing. Like you were a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit pulling for the Rams. How did you feel watching that game? Bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, that game didn't make me feel a lot. Um, I, I had, I guess, I, you know, I was rooting for the Rams a little bit. Um, if if you if you put a gun to my head, or if you made me put money on somebody, I would have done. On, I would put it on the Rams just because they're a little funner, they're different. But yeah, mostly I uh, was bored out of my mind for every second of that game, including the halftime show, which was pretty terrible. Um, it was so, not yeah. as, as you guys made it out to be. It was bad. It was not, not good. Okay. It wasn't good. I'm not going to pretend it was a good halftime show, but everybody crucified it as like one of the worst things their eyeballs have ever come across. That is not accurate. You guys it are groupthink. It was incredibly boring. He spent the first, like Adam Levine forgot how to sing for about five, ten minutes. Um, it was like, there were moments there where it was a little rough. Some songs were better than others, but... Uh, no, that halftime show was legit awful. And there's, I mean, like Big Boy came out, that was kind of cool. And I, but like, that was just boring. And just like the game, it was the perfect halftime show for the for that game. My wife was entertained when he took Adam Levine took his shirt off. I mean, that was impressive. He is in very good shape. Yeah, he's almost at my body level. Almost there. <laughs> oh God, I thought it was so cringeworthy. There were people that were like, "Oh yeah, he's fine," and then he took his shirt off, and they were just like. That was so unnecessary. And like, <laughs> what is he doing? Like, it was just cringy. And uh, I don't know. I, I happen to, ca I can't stand Maroon 5, any of their songs. They all suck. And so I, I was like, when they got announced, I was like, that is that's the same stage that the Rolling Stones are have been on. And like, I don't know, uh, Michael Jackson, like there's been some amazing performers. And I just find that like to be poppy puffy nastiness like there was nothing good about that halftime show um but it's interesting so you were kind of cheering for the rams but and did you find yourself enjoying it at all when they started like when they eventually lost and seeing like what they looked like did, did that come to mind at all for you i enjoyed bringing back jared goof that was fun i miss jared goof uh, -huh. uh, no, I don't, you know, I mean, maybe that was the most interesting thing about it. I really just could not find it in myself to work up hate for the Rams. I just don't care about them that much. Like maybe that's on me. I, I don't know. They are division rivals. Maybe I should just care more, but I would, I would have cared a lot more if that was Bruce Arians. I would have cared a lot more if that was the Niners, like the Rams, they're a great team and they're on a little run of dominance here. And, but like, I just don't like have strong emotions about them other than that. They're kind of fun and they're doing some different things that are interesting. And, you know, and McVay is kind of leaning into the, he's doing some of the things that analytics Twitter wants him to do. So that's fun. But like, I just don't have any strong emotions about this team. I, I think that was the most surprising thing to me is I just couldn't work up. I, I know, uh, Oh, I don't remember who Mike uh, from uh, Beast Pode. Like he's been tweeting like every day different gifts about how happy he is that the Rams lost. I just don't care. I just don't care about that team. Evan, where were you? 
How are you feeling? I know where you, you and I are pretty much simpatico on that game going in and afterwards. I've said it before, and I will say it again. I said it pre-Super Bowl. It absolutely blows my mind that a single Seahawk fan in the entire freaking universe could somehow work themselves up to rooting for the Rams in the Super Bowl. The Rams are a de- heated division rival. They have been kicking our ass as of recently. They are on a power trip. They are trying to steal the NFC West crown from us. This is. I think in a, in a year or two, this will be like 49ers, Seahawks, 2012-2013 um, level type rivalry. I don't think we're there yet, but I think I think we will get there. Um, I, I really like what you said, Brian, though, where you were like, the outcome of this game, Seahawks should root for whatever gets the Seahawks back to that Super Bowl. And I think what encourages the Seahawks to get back there the quickest is the Rams losing, like you said. Losing a Super Bowl, having a completely dominant season like the Rams did, and then absolutely shatting the bed on the biggest stage in sports. Jared Goff shatting the bed as he's approaching, you know, contract negotiations in the in the next couple of years. That's hard to recover from. The Seahawks went or the Rams went all in this year, and you know, I, you know, I'd make an argument against that though. I think Jared Goff going out there and shitting the bed makes it more likely that they move on from him. And I think that hurts the Seahawks. I would much rather have him gone out there and, you know, lit it up and then them deciding that he's the guy they want to invest in because clearly he's not a guy that they should be investing in. Right. Um, And I think that that game made it less likely that they pour a ton of money into him. I disagree with that. Sure. It's the Super Bowl, but it's one game. You know what I mean? He's played mostly well this season. I, I don't think, one game will discourage. But I think like everybody was suspicious of this. And I think that that game showed exactly what everyone thought he was. No, totally. I think that's going far. Like I, I loved it. Cause I really, I've never liked Jared Goff. It just, he, he kind of annoys me. I think he's, he's got a punchable face. I just, and there's no good reason other than I just don't like him. And I admit that, but look, he, he played, he outplayed Drew Brees one game earlier. He absolutely did. And um, there's no way they're going to move on from the number one overall pick who has led the number one offense or number two offense in back-to-back years. That's not a move-on-from kind of situation. Like, is that you get stuck with a guy who is not championship quality. Like, he's good enough that you can't move on from him because you're not going to likely find someone better, but he's not good enough to win it all. Like, that's ideal. And I think that's who Jerry Goff is. Have you have you guys seen how Sean McVay talks about Jared Goff? They're like lovers. <laughs> Sean McVay, even... though, like every time they lose, his line is, "Oh, I didn't put the team in a position to win." Like he is definitely doing some coach speak there. He he, every time that they have something like this happen, and they don't lose a lot, but he goes out and out of his way to put it all on him. That's his deal. But when McVay talks about Jared Goff's like arm strength and his accuracy. It's like sexually arousing for him. Have you ever heard this? It's 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 on a different it's on a different level. He watched the same game we did though. Like, <laughs> there's no praising his arm strength or accuracy. You know what was weird though too? Like, I think I thought Goff looked bad. I thought Brady looked bad too. I mean, oh, yeah. um, obviously, I mean they only scored 13 points. Like, they 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 were not an offensive powerhouse, but like he just had some throws where there was a couple where I was like, oh, that was tipped, right? Like, nope, that was just an incredible duck. So I thought he looked real rough. Jeff, uh, let's see if your your connection's any better. Go and make sure you get a chance to get in here. What, who, how did you feel about the game? Can you can you hear me now? 
Yes, we can. We'll see how, okay. how clearly. Uh, I switched internet, so hopefully we're fine. Um, so all year, I don't have a lot of like Evan controversial tweets. One of the few I made this year was that I thought that Jared Goff was a lot closer to Andy Dalton than people realized. And all year, I kept hearing crap about that. And every time the Rams would win, some people would just hammer me. And now the way you guys are talking about Jared Goff is exactly what ruined the Cincinnati Bengals. He's the kind of quarterback that you have to invest in. It's like quarterback purgatory, but you're never going to get better once that guy starts making the big money. To, to see him shit the bed on the biggest stage and put up three points, that brought me like some twisted joy. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though, guys. I got to jump in a little bit on, yes, I love the Jared Goff part. I think the much, much, much bigger story is Sean McVay fell on his face. Oh, yeah. I... The biggest game. He was completely outcoached in that game. And what came out after that is, you know, there was, there was clips of him saying, yep, they're running the Bears quarters defense. You know, Bears had shut them down. We saw that other teams, like, started having some success against them. I think that could be a really much, much, much bigger story than Goff because if McVay starts to have his offense figured out the way that the, you know, um, read option was figured out after a couple not, of years. Not actually figured out, but go ahead. Yeah, but, you know, it's not it, it's not having Reduce. the same effect that yeah. it, it, it yeah. did in those peak years. So, like, yeah. it, I just think that there's a the potential for the Rams to lose – really their their biggest advantage, which is him. And I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he's going to fall on his face. But I think that's a pretty big deal for the division. Well, and I think that you saw that. Like, I mean, we'll see what comes of it. Maybe, maybe he's been solved. I don't think that's probably true. They still were a pretty potent offense in the playoffs. But I think that what you really saw was that when the offensive scheme isn't dominating, like Goff can't elevate, right? Like he's dependent on that and he can operate within it. I mean, he's a system quarterback, basically what I'm saying. But like, so, I mean, that to me, I, I know that they're going to pay him, but at some point a team has to get smart about this and not give the Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford's and Jared Goff's and Ryan Tannehill's all this money. You know, there's a ton, there's been a bunch of talk about like, should they trade rest and stuff? And I think it, when you're talking about a quarterback like Russ, it's, it's pretty silly except for, I mean, we can talk about the Kyler, Kyler Murray thing later if we want, but um, you know, at some point, it really does make sense for a team like the Rams or one of these other teams where they have this good enough but not great quarterback to to move on. Especially if you've already got a Sean McVay, and I think he'll figure out his scheme. And I'm not sure if it was a scheme issue. Like, I don't know if I agree with Brian that maybe he's been figured out. I think it was a game planning issue, which mm -hmm. to me is a huge part of what we're so critical of Pete of. And I I don't know if you guys saw Warren Sharp's article. He sent out a like a forty-page report prior to the Super Bowl about like certain personnel that the Patriots were weak in, and McVeigh didn't adjust at all. And some of the things we were critical of, of and you know. yeah, and, I think yeah, what you say, Jeff, is sorry because you broke up a little. I think you're saying that. We were critical of Pete for not adjusting, which I think technically is is uh, Brian Schottenheimer not adjusting, but. In this game, Sean McVay didn't seem to have adjustments to make. Is Correct. That he went with that old school, we're going to do what we do thing. And to me, that was a bigger red flag than maybe his offense being figured out. But you know what's funny is they didn't do what they do. 
Fair, fair. Like they didn't run as much play action. Like there was different stuff that they did not get into in that game. He, I mean, I don't know. It seemed like he just kind of regressed for a game. I don't know exactly what the idea was or what happened, but he was not doing all the things that he had done earlier in the year that was that was productive. The only thing that would have made it just like a little bit better is if he had said, we just didn't convert enough third downs to get into our offense. <laughs> oh, then I would have just God. like said, oh, this We is would have gotten Gurley more runs, but we just didn't, uh, you know, more touches. We just didn't convert enough third downs, yeah. It was gas on the sidelines. <laughs> Honestly, though, guys, I, I think to circle around on this conversation, yes, we can talk about Sean McVay falling flat on his face, but I think this says more about Bill Belichick, honestly. You know, that Bill Belichick held that offense to three points. The Patriots' defense is not great. Like, not good. And they held that offense to three points. It was an incredible defensive performance, not just from the players, but from the coaching also. I, I, I think, obviously, Sean McVay is a really young stud coach in the NFL but I, I think I think that Super Bowl points most to Bill Pelichick and the quality of coach he is he's you know the best coach in NFL history and, and I think it shows even though that Sean McVay is so great they're still you know miles apart yeah I I, I don't think the the Patriots are going to lose a step losing their defensive coordinator for the second time in two years like Belichick's Legit. I mean, he is. I think Brady still gets more talk in general as you know the the goat, the best of all time. And and I I don't take away from Brady. I think he is the probably the best player that's ever played. Um, it's hard to argue with his results, at least. But Belichick, I mean, with the the different players over a different amount of time that he's been able to win with, and his ability to adjust and change scheme week after week, um, year after year. I don't think we've ever seen anyone like him. Like I, I don't, I don't know. That there's another coach that comes to mind that is similar to him and his ability to to scheme. And this will get a lot of cat calls and unhappiness. But I will say, at least leading up to the Seahawks' rise, one of the things that um, I really appreciated about Pete was his ability to game plan on defense. Like you give him in two weeks, I felt a lot of confidence in his ability to adjust. And to take away another team's strength, um, you know, I, I just don't know that he's <laughs> been able to do that lately. But other than that, I don't think there's a lot of guys that I look at and say, I mean, Wade Phillips, I think he did a pretty remarkable job in this game. I think that Patriots offense is not easy to slow down. And I think, you know, he did pretty darn well. See, I should look at getting them one of those defensive genius type coaches that can uh, really elevate even a, a poorly talented defense. <laughs> Just an idea. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't think there is one. I, wow. think there's one on, I think there's one on the planet. Who's who's it? Who's in the category of, of Belichick? I, I mean, no, there's, there's, one. there's one coach on the planet. He's the only one. Well, yeah. maybe if the Seahawks signed Poop, Poop Johnson, uh, yeah. What is this? Why is Poop Johnson coming from all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't know. He's showing up in my feed everywhere. He signed with the Toronto Argonauts. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about for a little bit. What type of parent does that? It's not his real name, though. It's like Anthony Johnson or something, right? Oh, it's not? I thought no. it was real name. He just goes by Poop. It's some like next-level branding. <laughs> I've heard, though, guys, that he's the shit. Oh, my God. Uh, 
You've been setting up that dad joke all day. End the podcast. End it. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Like, I think it was probably the least impressive Super Bowl win in the history of the Super Bowl, at least of any that I've seen. I don't think any teams looked worse and won than the Patriots did. I don't think I've ever seen a Super Bowl that was that boring where there really was – I can't even remember a single play. Like, I honestly, like, I'm trying to, like, there's nothing to me from the beginning to the end. It was just. You know what play did stand out to me? It was the Jared Goff missed touchdown. Uh, The one with Cooks at the back of the end zone? Yep. Yeah, there was that one. And then the Gronk catch that took him down to the one. Yeah. Those are the two that really stand out. And a couple of really terrible throws by Brady. What about the interceptions from, like, Brady and, and, and Goff? Or, like, wait. Yeah, I can't see. I can't even remember who it was, but someone threw a really. I think Goff Brady threw a pick on his first pass. That was fun. Yeah, and, and Goff threw one to the end zone, right? Arm punted. Yeah, right after the Cooks miss. I would say that this was not the worst win in football or in Super Bowl history. I, I think this might even be one of the better wins in football history. Holding that Rams offense to three points is no joke. Like it was one of the worst. Super Bowls to watch. And there's all these people out there that are like, oh, I just love defensive football and all this. And Arif Hassan said this really well. Like, even if you love defensive football and the mind games and the chess that Brian Flores and Sean McVay were playing, like, you can't see like 80% of it on the broadcast. You don't know what they're doing in the back there. They don't show you the defense. So, like, this idea that it was, oh, real football people like defense and they love that game, like, man, screw you. <laughs> Evan, you're you're getting some questions in the chat. Um, someone wanted to know if you just drank out of an empty glass. Um, and, 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 uh, a very tall rum and coke. <laughs> and then uh, someone else wants to know if you play Fortnite because you look like you play Fortnite. I just quit Fortnite for Apex Legends, the new game that is hot among the young millennial crowd that I pretend to be a part of. Pretend. Okay. All right. I'm just making sure this is an interactive show. There's just people that, that have opinions about what's going on in your, your little video window there. So, um, well, so what, what is this, what is this like, uh, what, anything else that we think that this means for the Seahawks? Like, do you guys think looking at next year, do you believe that the Rams are going to be as good as they were this year, better or worse? I haven't looked closely at it, but there's not a ton of reasons to expect a big drop off. I know that like they, they traded for these guys. They got to pay all these guys. They got to figure all that out. But I think that they're in okay cap situation right now. So I don't know how it'll all shake out. Like I think what Sue signed a one-year deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's some stuff that they have to figure out, but I don't know that there's much reason to think they're going to fall way off or suddenly not be a playoff team or something like that. You know what player could be a huge, huge difference for them is um, their left tackle. He might be retiring. That's a big deal. That, that, that would be a big swing. That's a big deal. If that offense is missing a solid, credible left tackle, it's going to change. Well, and Roger Saffold's a free agent. That's their mm-hmm. guard. So, is that right guard? Right guard, I believe. Yeah, and, and John Sullivan's their center, who's in his mid thirties. Like, well, the line could definitely not be as good as it was. And it goes back to what we talked about with Jared Goff. When Jared Goff gets under pressure, he cannot supersede the line of play like, say, Russell Wilson can, who's been dealing with a horrible pass pro his entire career. 
Jared Goff looks like Derek Carr when he's under pressure. He does not overcome it to make plays. It's that simple. Yeah, I think Jared Goff under pressure is maybe one of the most enjoyable things to watch. Is <laughs> he really makes some really dumb choices when he's under pressure. What do you think, Jeff? Do you think they're going to be better, worse, or the same next year? I think they'll be worse. I think the offensive line is an issue where they started to show leaks at the end of the year. Their center, you mentioned, is old. Their right guard became a problem. Their left guard's a free agent. And Whitworth is debating whether he wants to play. Cooper Cup will be back, which they changed a lot once they lost him. And they do have some room to bring in some players, as Nathan mentioned. But I think it's so hard to get up to the Super Bowl and then lose. There's so many examples of teams not making it back. And just the psychology of getting that far. And like the, if you watch that mic'd up thing, you can see the defense was just getting so frustrated. Because they sh- imagine holding Brady to like three points. And so. I don't know. I feel like just the amount of things that were built to go this year for them was so set up for them to win the Super Bowl this year. And that psychology of losing, I think it's going to have an impact on them. Yeah. I, I think it's probably wishful thinking to think that they're going to like crash. No, no. But <laughs> there are not a lot of Super Bowl losers that do make the playoffs even the next year. That. That has been a challenge historically. Obviously, the Patriots did it this year, and they went back and they won the Super Bowl. So it's not like it's impossible, but it just doesn't happen very often. And then, I don't know. I, I could see this team though becoming a ten or eleven win team instead of a thirteen win team. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. And, well, uh, let's uh, let's quickly look at their free agents. I just pulled it up on Over the Cap just to give you a quick rundown. Free agents. Obviously, you mentioned Sue Lamarcus Joyner, who's uh, one of their one of their safeties and is pretty damn good. Actually, Roger, Roger Saffold, who you mentioned, uh, Brian Dante Fowler Jr., who they traded for um, from the Jags this past year, Dominique Easley, um, C.J. Anderson, they're running back one. Um, you know, some big names. Yeah, I mean, they have work to do, but they aren't – completely like you know strangled by the cap right now they, they do have money to spend too so oh. they're not gonna be able to keep all these guys and like uh, they're a little likely you know drop off next year but yeah i, I think the idea that they kind of crash and burn or you know miss the playoffs it, that seems like a stretch yeah so, so watching that game did you guys think like the seahawks are right there like couldn't russell have done better like did that bring back bad memories of that dallas game for you thinking like what would happen if the Seahawks played the Rams or were you just like, that was just a one-off? I don't think the Seahawks are there. Yeah. I mean, they would have had to got through the Rams and then the Saints and then the Patriots, you know, I don't think that's on the table. I mean, uh, they're not like real far off in these teams. I don't know. It's hard because like both teams look so bad in the Super Bowl. It kind of feels like the Seahawks should have be, been able to beat either one of them. But I don't think the Seahawks would kind of make that run. Evan, you just slammed your heads hands against your head. Every time I think about that Dallas game plan, I want to jump off my balcony. But Evan, for a second, let's just say that they had a different game plan that got past Dallas. In your heart of hearts, do you think that the Seahawks were a Super Bowl contender this year? No. Yeah. No. I, so, I mean, it doesn't mean that, that the game plan wasn't bad. Like, we've covered that over and over again. But, like, 
as far as what the opportunity cost was, it's not huge. Like maybe there's another game. Maybe there's maybe there's two. Well, but this- I think the reason that this I don't think the Seahawks had the talent to do to the Patriots what the Rams defense did to the Patriots. And I don't I don't know that the Seahawks offense would have done much more to the Patriots defense than the Patriots than the Rams offense did to the Patriots defense. So I think we I think the Seahawks probably would have scored more points. I actually believe that. Um I think the Patriots probably would have put up 30 on the Seahawks defense. Really? I do. I, I just don't – I don't think the Seahawks defense was very good. I really don't. I think the talent level was like two notches at least down from from the Rams. I mean, the Rams, you could argue – I mean, yeah, I just think Aaron Donald all by himself, that guy changes an absolute game wrecker. And, and I mean, if you look at the numbers, I think the EPA per play when Aaron Donald wins – like his matchup is like off the charts for the Rams. And when he doesn't, it's pretty average. Like he's just that much of a difference maker. So I don't think the Seahawks have anybody like that. As good as Frank Clark is, he is not, to me, he is not close to Aaron Donald in terms of being a disruptor consistently game to game. I mean, Aaron Donald got 20 sacks from the defensive tackle position. Like it's insane. He's, yeah. He's a, he's a different level. And I mean, you got Michael Brockers, who's, good you've got uh, who's all right i mean anyway I, I just think they've got a lot of talent on that on that rams defense and i i just don't think the seahawks had i don't think they had it i don't think they had it in the secondary which is is where it, it really matters do you feel differently evan no i just i uh I, I, I think just this whole discussion about if we dropped like the Seahawks into that Super Bowl, would the Seahawks score more than the Rams? I actually do think they would score more than the Rams, but it's not about just dropping them into the Super Bowl. It's obviously about getting to the Super Bowl and sustaining that level of performance over multiple games in the playoffs. And I, I think at the end of the day, the Seahawks didn't have the depth or the straight up just blue chip talent to even get to the Super Bowl. Um, Russell and, and coaching can only you know, bring them so far. So um, I think the Seahawks have to add some pieces before their Super Bowl contender. Having a little bit of distance from the season, I don't know where your guys' heads are, but even though I saw it happen, I saw them win, we we win 10 games. (laughs) It's been long enough, I forgot, right? But like, I still look at the Seahawks and the talent level to me just feels like a six win team. It just like six to seven. Like I just did not believe in the Seahawks talent level. And so I feel more like this season was a mirage in some ways and that the Seahawks have a chance to potentially fall back, you know, if they don't add some real meaningful pieces. But then I look at it and I look at, you know, a lot of what they did was pretty repeatable. Um, and there's reason that they should be able to add, you know, on, on defense and make that defense better and, and maybe, you know, plug in better offensive linemen and maybe like stop being so scared of passing the ball, um, you know, once they get a little bit more acquainted. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's a story to be told there, but the talent level just, I, I don't believe in it yet. What would you consider they to have like three blue chips, blue chip players, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner. Um, and who's the other one? Frank Clark. Clark. Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett's not a blue chip player. Would you consider Dwayne Brown as one of those guys? No. Yeah. I don't think I would either. Blue chip. That's a high standard. 
Like best, that's I mean, I'm talking like top three or four at their position in the league. Yeah, yeah, maybe top five. Well, who are the guys on the Rams that make that? Aaron like, Donald, Andrew Whitworth. I would say Andrew Whitworth is a top five left tackle. Um, that's probably it, right? They just have a lot more. Like Gurley, Gurley's got to be up there. No, Come on. we cannot put Gurley in that conversation after what we saw them do. What we saw CJ and if if Gurley's in there, then they have two blue chip running backs. <laughs> and you got to put Anderson in there too. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I, I understand the the thought process, but and you know, same for the Patriots. I, and I know it's a different deal with Belichick, but like, who are the blue chippers on that team? Brady Gronk. Yeah. The blue chip is one part of the conversation. I'm just looking at like talent level across the board. Like how far down, like one blue chip, how, where are the red chips? Like Tedrick Thompson to me is like, well, is that's there, the thing too, you know, started on the Rams defense that is as bad as Tedrick Thompson or as bad as, uh, you know, what's the linebacker's name? I'm I literally forgetting names. Um, strong Mingo. side. Mingo. Yeah. I mean, like there's some really bad, bad players on the yeah and, be, and there's probably not a, a mingo or a thompson on the rams but um the other thing is too like with the patriots you know if they lost chung early in that game and didn't miss a beat and if seattle loses mcdougald or seattle loses even thompson right and then you have to go to the guy behind thompson i think you see something i think mcveigh finds a way to exploit that too and so yeah there's depth issues i i don't i'm not going to argue that this, this team is super talented but i don't think it's um that talent poor either but i i think it's probably it's probably top heavy so what do we do about it jeff so that's that's the question now it's the seahawks are kind of in a weird place that you brought up brian we're unsure whether to know if, if it was a mirage. We're unsure whether it's they're right there. They're a couple pieces away. So, I, so that transitions well for us. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see this, our listeners, but we had an article come out this week. It was a roundtable style collaborative article with the four of us. And we went over, each of us went over three changes we'd like to see the Seahawks make. That's anything from the GM, the coach, the roster personnel, and it was different. All four of us had completely different changes. None of us repeated any of the same ones, which says one thing that we view the world very differently or two things. The Seahawks have a lot of problems. So jumping off the page, I think Nathan's hit on this so many times, but I think it's the biggest issue around the Seahawks. Russell Wilson. We'll start with this. They got to make him the focus of their team. I imagine that's the the view of so many Seahawks fans, you led with this one. So why don't we start with that? Nathan, Russell Wilson, make him the focus. Why was that so important to you? I mean, like I like I said in the piece, I, I don't think this should be a really controversial thing. And it, this doesn't have to get into like a never run or whether running backs matter discussion. Quarterbacks are the most important position on the field. Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Like, and 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 this is you know every year we say it's passing league and it, it and it just that becomes more and more true passing becomes more and more effective the rules benefit passing more and more so just finding ways to make this offense about Russell giving him every opportunity to take over and dominate games just has to be what this team's plan is for as long as they have him or as long as he's 
you know, playing at the level that he can play at. Um, and I, you know, again, like I don't care what that means really in terms of, you know, run path ratio. I think 50, 50 is probably, it, it's not right. It, it needs to be more than that, but it doesn't need to go all the way into like the, you know, run or pass 80% of the time either. Right. There's, there's low hanging fruit. Evan talked about this too. Um, in, in his, uh, three answers where, you know, running smarter, right? And a lot of times running smarter is going to mean running less. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't, I, I don't know why, I, I don't know what the argument against this could be without, you know, retreating back to the, 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 our, our, uh, trope. Yeah. All that stuff. This, you know, years long argument that we've had now, it, it's just, you have to build an offense this way. There's, there's no better way to do it. Well, and let me jump in there and 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 actually agree uh, for once uh, with that. Like, I think that if I'm putting a lot of trust that I know most people probably listening and, and watch the season don't have in the coaching staff, that there were reasons that they were so far skewed towards run this year more than they've ever been really um, in certain situations that are going to correct next year and that they're going to come back and that they, that they are going to want to pass the ball more and they're going to want to be a little more confident there. I, you know, I've said it before, but I, th I think we heard from Schottenheimer. I think he really wanted to come into the season and pass the ball a lot more. And that's how they started. And I think they found out quickly. They just, I don't think they believe that they had the offensive line to do that. And so I think that they, I think they made a lot of adjustments. So again, just to, just to pile on, I think if if they come back and they do the exact same thing next year, then that would be a real red flag for sure. Like to me, it was not a red flag this year. I thought the fact that they finished fourth in offensive points scored was a pretty remarkable accomplishment um, with the style that they played. But they need, they absolutely need to be more varied in, in how they attack teams, and they need to take advantage of Russell's you know, Russell more than they did. Do you believe they were masking not only their offensive line, but their defense with that approach? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think that this was a formula. I think it was a formula. And, and I think that, uh, again, I know that I'm, I'm probably out on a, uh, on my own on this and I don't mind. I've been there before. I just, I think the Seahawks would have won far fewer games um, under almost any other coaching staff than they did this year. I think it was a, almost a miracle that they got to the amount of wins that they did. Evan, you buy that at all? God. I mean, I don't know how to answer that question just because we it, it jumps into the whole great yeah. base. You know, and I, and I don't want to – because that's a whole separate conversation in and of itself. I just think – Say what you think. Say what you feel. It's all right. I, I think the one thing that kind of perked my ears a little bit with what you said, Brian, is that you said the coaching staff didn't feel comfortable enough to pass the ball this year or pass as much as they did this year. Like, can I ask you, like, what 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 are those hunches? Because if, if, if you think they're going to come out and pass the ball more in 20, uh, 2019, that's awesome. I can't wait. That's exciting to me. If, if that means that shift is going to happen, that's super encouraging to me. I, I, I guess, can you speak more on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, one, uh, I think that when I would look back at, at run pass mix and certain uh, downs and distances and certain um, scenarios over, over the past, over Pete Carroll's era, yeah. Um, this year was way skewed. Like the past two years were skewed much more to pass than, than they had been initially. And then this year they went way the other direction, way more run than they had before. So it, his, his early history here was around balance. And he, and if you hear him talk, he generally talks about balance. I think he's looking for closer to 50, 50 than the 60, 40 split that they tend to get into. And so that's part of it. Part of it is they came out the first two games, they were passing 65% of the time on neutral scripts, early downs. And I know everyone feels like it was the defenses that they faced and that's why it didn't work. But I think they looked at it and they're like, we can't hold up against it um, from a pass protection standpoint. And if you look at it, knowing how little the Seahawks passed and knowing that they gave up the most sacks that Russell Wilson's ever been sacked and their, their sack rate was so high. I mean, I think that's more evidence that again, the offensive line, was challenged. I do think a lot of that is on Russell. I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that Russell contributes to his own problems, but this still was the most. <laughs> like So I think there's a lot of evidence there. And then I think we also saw that the run game actually was working. They were, they were able to become the number one rushing offense in the NFL. So I think they saw a strength developing and they went really into that strength because they could rely on it game to game um, for a long period of time and they were scoring more points. So I think all that contributed to why they did what they did this year. Next year, I, you know, a lot of my confidence comes from second year. Like it was Schottenheimer's first year. He's, he's desperate to make sure he does as good as possible. He's going to have a whole off season to think about how he can adjust, how he can use Russell Moore. Um, what, what are some other options that they can take advantage of? How can they maybe involve the short passing game more than they did high percentage short throws? I think there's reason for that. And I think, you know, we'll get into some of the other things. I think if they spend the, the right resources on the offensive line and get some guys that are actually reliable pass protectors, um, which sounds crazy, but I think without Tom Cable, I think there is possible possibility that that happens. I think there's a lot of reasons to think that that they will start to balance out. So those are some of the reasons. So the so my cat free agency mind perspective here's that, and what that tells me is. Number one, anybody except Dwayne Brown isn't safe. Justin Britt is not safe. DJ Fluker is not safe. JR Sweezy is not safe. Jermaine Ifedi is not safe. Because if they want to pass more next year, and this year's line did not get it done, with the exception of Dwayne Brown, you have two options. Number one, replacing that talent. Number two, that talent developing. Are you telling me DJ Fluker or J.R. Sweezy are suddenly going to prove whatever in their late 20s, early 30s? I don't think that's likely. So should we expect them to make especially important moves at the guard position and at right tackle this offseason? Is that something we're hoping for? That was my number three of the three things I wanted to see. Uh, I yeah. Dare to dream bigger than Fluker and Sweezy. And it's a little bit of a rhetorical question, but – when I went back and did my um, free agency article a couple of weeks ago on the site, I uh, pulled those pro football focus pressure numbers on Fluker and Sweezy. And I was, I know I test means nothing, but I was shocked with how bad they ranked. Like they were bad. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they were like bottom quarter of the league bad in run and pass. I think I, I think DJ Fluker was like 
number 18 in pass pro or something like that. It was kind of a surprising number, but um, I don't think J.R. Sweezy is safe. JR or uh, DJ Fluker might get re-signed though. I can see that happening. I mean, both those guys are like free agents that they brought on one-year deals that were not highly sought after, right? I mean, like, uh, yeah, the idea that they wouldn't be safe, it, I, I would hope that they're not safe. I, I don't have anything, you know, I mean, really, like these are I not agree, like totally some, they're not premium guys. I, I'm I'm with you on this. I, I I don't feel as strongly about the need to move on from them. Um, but yeah, looking to swing bigger here is would be nice. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if they end up with. I mean, if they end up with Fluker and Sweezy, it's not going to be the end of the world. Like they've they've shown that they can function as an offense with those guys at least. But given their injury situation and their talent level, if I had to pick one, I would definitely pick Sweezy over Fluker which I probably maybe am minority on that, but I, I feel like just from a durability standpoint, I have more trust in Sweezy being available and Fluker could be like at any time just done, you know? So I have a question for you guys right now. Roger Saffold, obviously we just spoke about him right guard for the Rams, age 31, a little injury prone, but has shown to be a very, very capable starter. Would you be comfortable throwing down 10 million a year on him? I'd rather go ahead. I'd rather like I don't know if it's gonna happen, but if if Kalecio Semeli is gonna get cut um, for cap reasons, I would much rather someone like him. You keep bringing that up, and I haven't studied their cap situation. But um, do you have any insight as to, as to why they might cut him? Just because Tom Cable is bad, or what? <laughs> the, 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 it was coming up from. Their reporters um, talking about possible cap casualties and knowing that the Raiders have been basically restocking under, under, um, uh, yeah, I haven't dug much deeper than that, but his name came up in like four different places. So got my eye because I've always wanted him on the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm just looking at their cap situation right now. So he has no guaranteed money this year whatsoever. So the Raiders would save like 11 million cutting him. But at the same time, I see the Raiders with 72 million in 2019 cap room. So unless, I mean, Tom Cable's pretty bad. He could cut him, you know what I mean? But, um, I mean, I agree with you. If he's a free agent, hell yeah. But that wasn't your question. I don't know. What do you guys think of Saffold? So, like, but let, let's start. Let, like, 10 million number. Say that's the number. Three-year deals. Three-year, 30 million. Are you cool with that? Yes or no? So they're going to have what, like – what is what are they gonna have in space like 60 million 65 million yeah adjusted cap is like 68 and then how much is gonna go to Frank uh first year because he's a free agent and you know the threat of the tag probably like close to 18 19 maybe 20. okay so that leaves them at like 40 maybe generously yeah, 45 40 45 let's say they keep Coleman uh six seven. So down to 35, 32, 33, something like that, 33. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so then if you throw 10 at Saffold, that's leaving you around 20 to 25 million to go do the rest of your business? Bingo. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm talking myself more and more in, in this offseason into the, the Patriot approach of kind of spreading out money um across um that 
what do we call it? Don't sign the, the middle class. Yeah. Uh, those middle class guys trying to get some depth. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that I would do that. I don't think I'd hate it though either. I don't have any problem with them trying to find big time offensive line help. Because you could cut like Ed Dixon and you could cut, um, who's that horrible outside linebacker? What's his name? Mingo. <laughs> Mingo. You could cut both of them to save like $5 million. And then no, that's the thing, though. I mean, look at the some of the offensive guard available guards available. You've got Andy Levitri, who I brought up before. He's 33. He's coming off, I think, a, an ACL or some kind of injury. He's been a good guard before, and he should yeah. be cheaper. You've got James Carpenter, who's 30, and you know, I don't think is a terrible option there. I think Ramon Foster from Pittsburgh, you know, is 33. Um, you know, he's not the worst option. I think, and I think there's some interesting guys to, to at least consider. Eric Cush is the guy that I would go for 29, I think uh, is a solid guard, um, you know, and, and I think you could get it at a moderate deal and he could end up being a guard for you for four or five years. So what about Michael Potty guard for the Cardinals? I don't think that guy has been anything for a few years, right? I think his body has been breaking down. Yeah. <laughs> He's injury prone. He's yeah, he a very physical guy. I think yeah. he doesn't have it anymore. It's where that Will Hernandez thing uh, keeps coming back. Foster, guard for the Steelers, age 33, is a free agent. Yep. That could be an interesting one. I still can't, I still can't believe the Mark Lewinsky uh, contract. This is, what, this is what I mean. This is a recurring problem with the Seahawks. Like Me and Brian were like crazy about Will Hernandez last year. You could have got a guard at like what the 29th pick in the draft for the next four years under control. And now you're relying bull to we're gonna have to pay potentially Roger Saffold, an inferior player, $10 million in frangency, which limits your ability to grow otherwise. It's this simple. The Seahawks do some really stupid shit sometimes. <laughs> this is one of them. Let's stop jump beating around the bush. The Seahawks do some stupid shit sometimes. And this is an example of it. And that that was one of my points. Stop doing dumb shit in the first round. This does not, you know, you know what blows my mind is like when I see this argument of Twitter on Twitter of like, oh, you think you're smarter than Pete Carroll Carroll or somebody in the front office? No, I'm not gonna claim I'm smarter than Pete Carroll or somebody else in the front office. But I'm not gonna draft Rashad Penny at 27 when I have motherfucking Chris Carson at running back one. Hey, like, who's the last jersey that you bought? Frank Clark, actually. Thank oh, you. thank you. Mm, <laughs> Did we count really? money? <laughs> Frank Clark. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that, that worked out very well for Evan. He's he <laughs> <laughs> got saved there. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, stop That's... doing stupid crap. Like, obviously, stupid crap. That was my number three point in the article. I listed a bunch of players. T.J. Watt they passed on two years ago for Malik McDowell. They passed on Ryan Ramchick, who could have been their right tackle or left tackle and prevented the Dwayne Brown trade. They just keep doing this dumb shit in the first round that's hindering, and now you're going to have to overpay and you have all these holes on your roster because you spent your last two picks on Malik McDowell and Rashad Penny. All right, so if we're going to talk about dumb shit, the dumb <laughs> shit that they've done has been the trades that they've made. Uh, for for big time receiving talent, first with Percy Harvin, then with Jimmy Graham. 
Is it anyone on this pod, does anyone on this pod think that they are going to make another, well, I'm going to say ridiculously stupid choice and trade for Antonio Brown? No. The question is, do we think they will? Do you think they will? Not do you think it's a good idea. Do you think there's a chance that they're going to try to trade for Antonio Brown? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I think they saw what happened with Percy's attitude in that receiver room. Doug Baldwin and and Antonio Brown, I feel like number one, would not get along at all. I, I, I just think the personalities would not mesh at all. I can't. I I, sh- I shouldn't say I shouldn't say this, but I can't imagine they're they lack that much self awareness to go out and trade for Antonio Brown at this. They point. might though. They I might. Can, they really might. They but might. I can see John Schneider itching to do a deal like this, but I just don't think they have the capital to do it right now. Well, and here's the thing: if you're gonna go do a trade like this, go blow away the Giants and try to get OBJ. Don't do it for Antonio Brown. Yeah. Get the guy who's, you know, what, five some years younger. And are you saying that you actually want them to do something like that? No, I don't. I mean, it would, that would be a very hard uh, thing to hate just because, holy crap, that, you know, <laughs> they traded for OBJ. But no, I, I would not at all. I mean, that was one of the things, and that was one of my three answers, is, or one of my three things I would change, like stop doing these trades. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you are going to do one, go get the younger, better player. Did yeah. you guys see what the rumored trade comp for what the Steelers wanted for Antonio Brown was? What? What do you guys guess? I'm curious. A one? A first? It was a second. Well, we don't have that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the reference though. The reference, the re- yeah, seriously, the reference though was Amari Cooper. You know hauled in the first rounder and he's like five years younger so an into- older Antonio Brown would maybe get a second interesting yeah I, I still even let's say even that they could get him for a third with all the personality stuff that they've been going through and with how they just played football for a season running as much as they did and whatever they may do in the future they're not going to be what the Steelers were this year or some pass happy offense like to trade even a third round pick for a guy that is unhappy at was his role and his situation just seems mind-numbingly dumb oh my god like people talk about that maybe Doug Baldwin and Russell don't seem to get along and that you know all that kind of stuff <laughs> Doug Baldwin compared to Antonio Brown in terms of like professionalism and willingness to to take one for the team to to win like you're telling me antonio brown who's like led the league in receptions for like ever is going to come in here and be happy with you know 90 to 100 targets in in a year um and want to block you know the way that that the receivers are asked to block like and i know that everyone doesn't want that to happen fine but i'm just saying i just don't think antonio brown's a good fit here at all it's going to really hurt, though, when the Rams flip a second for him. I think it's going to be 49 They don't have it. They don't have a second either. I think it's going to be 49ers are going to get Antonio Brown, and they're going to get Earl Thomas, and they're going to get the number two pick in the draft, and they're going to get back their starting quarterback, and they'll probably get some more than that. 
They're gonna be they're gonna be significantly improved next year. They're gonna be a dream team. A dream team. What would a dream team be? I don't know. There was that that Eagles team like 15 years ago that signed Vince Young and Ronnie Brown and called themselves a dream team. And then yes, that's good pull, dude. That's a deep pull. Nice. Yes. All I know is I keep hearing about the return of the 49ers. I have yet to see it happen and be true. Brian, you can t- keep telling me about how the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl next year. Whatever. I'm not even sold on Jimmy Garoppolo yet. We'll see what happens. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring up Earl. So when I was writing this thing, like it took every ounce of me not to write, like ignore all logic and just re-sign Earl. Like I was thinking about writing that the whole time, and then Nathan's came in and his was – do not overpay, like do not keep overpaying for veterans. Don't make the same mistakes. I'm conflicted because when I see this report, or not report, that like Evan Silva's linking Earl to the 49ers, all my Seahawks fan instincts come back. And I just I want them to like screw all logic, just bring Earl back because the play without him versus him on the field is so dramatic. But then I see Nathan's reasonable take that they gotta stop holding on to these veteran guys so long. So where do you guys stand on Earl right now? Because I'm conflicted completely. It's hard for me to like take it seriously because I don't think there's any chance that he's going to be resigned or that he will. Like, I think I think there's reason to believe that Earl would take the money if the Seahawks offered it and be happy to play in Seattle. Like, as crazy as that sounds, but I don't. The Seahawks are not going to sign him. Like, they had a million times that they could have signed him. They're not going to sign him. So, then what the hell were they doing? No, that that's a whole. I mean, we've been through that. I, if the question was assuming that the Seahawks wanted to sign him and Earl was willing to sign for ten million a year, you know, would you take it? Yes, absolutely. I would have. I would have. You know, I would have re-signed Earl Thomas, or I would have traded him already. Like, it would, like no doubt, that was really clear to me. They haven't. So now, yeah, I just don't think there's any chance he signs. I'm with you though, Jeff. It, it's Earl's the hardest one, and then to see the reports about him being linked to the Niners just makes it all that harder. Um, and so, yeah, the the irrational side of me is just like give him whatever he wants, bring him back. But I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that it would be a mistake to do it. I mean, there's there's some reasonable price out there that he'll never accept, and or at least never accept from the Seahawks after everything that's gone down to this point um, where he, it makes sense to bring him back, but I, I just don't think it's the right move. Evan, you're the cap guy. Any scenario here? I don't think this is about money. I don't think this is about playing on the field. I don't think this is about injury issues. I think this is about emotions and relationships and some bad blood probably. I, I, I think there is more like, you know, as fans, we think about this as like, oh, it's this simple. Earl's productive on the field. Earl's worth this amount of money. Will the team pay him this amount of money? There's more to it than that. There's emotions. There's relationships at play here. And I think those two areas are really tainted. And I think they're beyond repair. You know, though, guys, we, before we move on completely off the offensive line thing, I know we've, we've kind of changed from it. I just have to say, again, I said it before, I think the biggest thing they can do to improve that offensive line is to figure out a way to move on from Jermaine Effetti. And, like, I think that's a top priority. If I can find a team that will trade me a draft pick for Jermaine Effetti, even if it's a fifth-round pick, I would take it. 
I would absolutely take it. I think you improve the team. It's addition by subtraction. I think that I would much rather have a George Fant or even a Jamarca, um, Jamarco Jones have a chance to step into that role next year. I don't think, I think there's a very low chance that the Seahawks will do that, but if, if they can get anything for a young right tackle who had a better year last year, um, I would take it. Otherwise, I think they're going to keep him at right tackle, and I think he's a total liability. I think if I was Pete Carroll, I would go into 2019, and I would take a major risk in really hoping that Jamarco Jones pans out. I think he's a player that is worth the risk. Like I'm saying, I don't think you invest big draft capital into, into right tackle. I think Jamarco Jones could be that guy. It's a big it's risk. I know it's a big risk. I'm not saying it's not. Um, I, 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 although at the same time, Brian, I kind of disagree with you as much as I hate Jermaine, Jermaine Ifedi. I think I'd rather have him as a backup than. For- what, what did he? When did he lose the? When did he lose the Fetty? What got him demoted to Ifedi again? He played like I missed it. That's what happened. He almost killed our quarterback. That's what happened. I don't know. I mean, something that's hard is if you're already talking about trying to improve on Fluker and Sweezy, and you're already looking at Justin Britt's cap number and kind of wondering about that, trying to now do something with a Fetty too, and and now you're talking about opening up another hole maybe on the offensive line, like in a year where you don't have like a ton of cap space and you've got very few picks it gets, I, I don't know that they're in a position this year to try to like really aggressively move off of a Fetty. I wouldn't I think, be wrong from Brit. I mean, I think Brit, Brit's anyway, go on, Jeff. Sorry. I already went. No, no, I was going to ask how you guys feel about fan. Cause that didn't, his name didn't come up. That's who I, that's the first person I brought up. Like I, I would move on from a Fetty so that fan could be your, uh, de facto starter at right tackle. If he was good enough, he would have already made his way into the starting lineup, though. Fant? Yeah. No, because they, they, they were invested in a Fetty, and, and I think they weren't so you're, gonna... telling me, you're telling me George Fant could be better at right tackle than a Fetty today, and you think they're still starting a Fetty because of draft stock, age, what? Yeah. Then they're insane. You're crazy. Not not only that, like, but th- that seems to go against everything Pete talks about, right? But 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 that's bullshit. Like, we know Pete's always compete stuff is bullshit. That has not reigned to be true over the past several years. We know that. I don't know that he's dying on the Jermaine Effetti hill, though. <laughs> I, I don't know that he's he's thrown it away for Jermaine Effetti. Yeah, fan was coming off an ACL learning a new position, right tackle, a new scheme. I don't know if – I think having a year for him to develop might have been part of their plan. I, I think that he basically played right tackle this year. He was a tight end over um, Afedi, and he graded out better than Afedi as a pass blocker and as a run blocker. And so, I mean, I guess – I don't think it's likely that they'll move on. I think that they'll feel like, hey, he made progress. We're going to keep going with it. I just think the Seahawks would be better if they could get any kind of draft pick for him whatsoever um, to get it for him and to to let the other players rise at that position. 
I think you've got guys like Jordan Simmons, who's another young player at, at you know at guard that hopefully would come back and is interesting. I just think that you have Dwayne Brown, you have Justin Britt. I think you can plug in two veteran guards. I don't think that's actually a high risk thing to do. I think you can get veteran guards. They'll come in, they'll just play, they'll push people around. And then the right tackle position is the one to me that's the wild card. And if you stick with a Fetty, I think there's a ceiling on how good this offensive line can be. And I think there's a ceiling on how much you can pass the ball. Well, I would say the one the one thing is this draft has some right tackles in it. You know, Dalton Reisner, uh, uh, McGarry. Who's the, what's the guy uh, for UW? Caleb McGarry is that his name? UW's uh, right Washington tackle. State, you mean? For no, for UW, the right tackle. Andre Dillard's the left tackle for Wazoo, but then I think it's Caleb McGarry, right? Anyways, yeah. the UW right tackle. Yeah, Caleb McGarry. So there's a couple guys here. Like, I mean, I'm not against going that route. If you want to spend a high pick on a right tackle and then see, you know, if Eddie can be depth, if Eddie can get work at guard or something like that, um, I don't know that I'm just going to give away a Fetty just to give him away, though. Wow. That's amazing to me. Uh, not not in a way that, like, it's crazy. It's just it's amazing to hear those words. Like, people are asking on the chat if you'd take a seventh for a Fetty. And I'd be like, I'd think about it. I would absolutely think about it. Ryan, what I'm getting the sense from you is that there's more than just a play issue, like a performance issue with Fetty. What I'm getting from you is that there's, like, a mental – emotional like I, I like really would you really give up a fifth for I, I mean would you give up my fetty for a fifth i would absolutely yeah i i, I just he's also I, in the last year of his deal yeah like, that's true i get so that random. i get that but i think even as a backup for a year i think he's worth a fifth i'm i'm terrified of the team like making him their long-term right tackle and him like being the reason that Russell never reaches his true like potential. Like, and I, I think I think the team has a blind spot with him and thinks that he's talented. And I just don't think he's that good. I, I really just don't. And and uh his pass protection stuff is anyway, I'm 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 like beating a dead horse at this point, but it is performance for me hundred percent. And it's the fact that I think the team is missing a chance to move higher. And I will admit that one of the coaching staff blind spots is that they they tend to focus more on run blocking than pass blocking. And I've always put that at Cable's feet. We'll see this year. Like, I think this is the first year I can really evaluate whether um, – whether this this new you know offensive line uh, staff will will make a different decision um, in free agency. I'll tell you why I think you're wrong there, and I think you're missing the spot is because I'm 98 percent sure Jermaine Effetti got Tom Cable fired. I'm like pretty sure. Do you remember how many penalties he had in in uh, 2017? Oh yeah, he was raving about like we've never seen Pete so pissed off about those penalties that Jermaine had. I'm pretty sure you got him fired, and you know that I think that really reflects poorly on Cable. And I, I, I don't think Ifedi is as, as safe as you might think he is. If we're going to wildly speculate, I bet it's more likely that Dwayne Brown was the straw that broke the camel back on Cable than Ifedi. <laughs> Brown had a rough year under Cable. I like, yeah, I like your your thinking there. Like Brown was an established, like very good, like Pro Bowl level left tackle. He comes in and tanks under Cable, like. If any if if Effetti's penalties and Effetti's 
like just emotional intelligence was if, if that falls on anyone's feet, it falls on John Schneider's feet. Like that's that's his job and his scout's job to do that background work. Like Cable leaned on him. He didn't say he was a smart dude or that he was a mature dude. So I, I don't know. We're wildly speculating. But in terms of a trade for Effetti, I like the idea more of trying to flip him for another player and see if there's somebody else's Effetti that, especially on defense, that Pete can find a use for and kind of get a second draft guy. I'll be for that too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's much more intriguing to me than trying to go out and get, you know, if you're flipping him for a fifth round pick, like it is the last year of his deal. I don't want him to be here long term. I don't know what, I mean, they'll have a better idea of what he's looking for contract wise and what role he's, you know, going to be okay with. But if you can go flip him for some other first or second round pick that's a few years into his career and maybe feels kind of busty like a Fetty, but you think you can use him the right way, that makes a lot more sense to me. Are you guys like not, ready? Not for, like that. Brian. Are you guys ready for Jermaine to walk in free agency, join the Broncos with that ex Steelers offensive line coach, and suddenly be like a Pro Bowl level? I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. Oh, but, we'll pull back this podcast recording. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I, look, and, and fifth round picks, people like scoff at those guys. Like Trey Flowers, fifth round pick. Uh, Cam Chan, Michael Dixon, fifth round pick. Michael nope. Dixon, like. Uh, Byron Maxwell was a sixth round pick. Uh, Chris Carson and David Moore were seventh round picks. Like Winston Guy, <laughs> Corey Toomer, Cameron, you know, uh, what is no, what's his name? Johns. What was that guy at Cons? Oh, Jameson Cons. Jameson Cons. He was going to get there eventually. Freak athlete. Um, but, but look, the people are asking on the, the chat, like, would you, Take, you know, one of these offensive linemen like you're talking about, Nathan, like someone's talking about Jonah Williams, you know, if he fell to us, would you take him? And I'll tell you, I don't want the Seahawks drafting more offensive linemen. I, I think that the youth on offensive line is taking too long to develop nowadays. I would rather them plug in veterans that can be mediocre or better, like average or above average. And I want them spending their draft picks on defense. Um, you know, the only other position other than defense that I'd, I'd be interested in is receiver from a draft perspective. And I'm, I'm kind of curious where you guys are at on that. So from the little that I've looked into this class, I don't have a ton of receivers at the top that I, I, I really love. Um, the guys that I like are a little bit farther down. And so I don't see the need to really prioritize that. Um, I'm okay with offensive line. I mean, I, I like those two guys that I mentioned. I'm okay with offensive line in general. I mean, I think you saw it with um, Will Hernandez. And then, um, I mean, obviously, Quentin Nelson was kind of a a generational talent. But, uh, you know, he played really well. I think that you've seen offensive linemen, you know, step in and play well. Ryan Ramchick is a big part of the uh, New Orleans Saints offensive line. He's only been in the, year, the league for a couple of years now. Um, if we want to talk, if we want to remo- be sad about the Malik McDowell pick some more, there's another one. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, I think that offensive line is an okay spot for them to go high this year. Um, and I'd be, I'd be good with that. Jeff. I want to see them get defensive help. I know this is a really good defensive line draft and I don't know a safety position. I think, I think free safety is a position I would love to see them address early. I don't know the draft class that well yet, but I think if they can just keep stacking defensive linemen, 
they have a really good core going with Frank and Puna and Jaron Reed and Jacob Martin showed stuff, but I think they need to build up, especially if you're going to keep having to play the Rams and you want to pressure Jared Goff, keep adding these defensive linemen, keep stacking that group. It's a position that has been flashing earlier than it used to. It used to be more veteran laden. So I'd like to see them go heavy on D line in the draft and then add D linemen in free agency as well. Do you guys think that Taylor Rapp, because people are asking about it on the chat, obviously he's a Washington kid. You know, some people are comparing him to Harrison Smith. Some people are saying he's he's not as good as others. Would you be excited if the Seahawks took Harrison? Sorry, if they took Taylor Rapp in the in the first round, assuming that they won't, they would that they actually keep their first pick. I'm conflicted on him. Um, I like him. He's fun to watch. I don't. Uh, if Seattle. Uh, if if they had an opening at strong safety and had and had a McDougal type at free safety, I think it's a no brainer. Um, but at free safety for what they want there, I don't know that he fits that real well, and so I don't know that I like him. I think he's fun. I, I don't know that Seattle is the place for him. What about Byron Murphy? Oh, I like Murphy a lot. They just won't. Seahawks don't draft quarterbacks in the early. Yeah, I don't think he'll get to them either. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I don't think they take. I don't think they're gonna. The cornerback, the the earliest they took one was a third round pick on Shaquille Griffin. I don't think they'll ever go earlier than third on a cornerback. Um, although <clears throat> we wanted him to take Kevin King at, at the second round uh, a few years back, but Is he was he that good last year with the Packers? He was better than Malik McDowell. <laughs> no, yeah, he had a tough year. He was really injured. Okay. And he hasn't really made a big difference. I haven't really heard his name floated around. Because they drafted Jerry Alexander last year. He's kind of jumped him already. I would say, though, guys. Different in the Seahawks game, right? If you take take a cornerback and you put him in in Pete Carroll's defense, it's just just different. So I just just don't know that you can compare how he plays anywhere else. Like, how did Byron Maxwell play for the Eagles and for the Dolphins? No, no, I, I, I totally get that. And I think our defensive coaching is way better here with Pete Carroll and blah, blah, blah. I think that's great. But it is fun seeing the Packers waste high value. Back. <laughs> I know. It's true. Um, all right. Anything else we want to cover tonight, guys? Yeah, I want to completely derail the podcast. Were we doing podcasts back with the after the McDowell pick? Do we have a consensus? What is everyone's take here on the McDowell pick? Because there's a lot of opinions about it i think that people i i give the front office a complete pass on that i don't know what is the consensus what's the the blog's opinion on that i was i was very consistent from before the draft even happened that i wanted them to go uh take at least two um two cornerbacks and within the first three picks because it was a cornerback heavy draft this was before richard sherman was gone and i felt like he was you know, <laughs> aging and going out. And I felt like they needed to replenish. And so when they, I, and I also felt like there was really good talent. So when they traded back once, I was fine. I wasn't thrilled, but I was fine. When they traded back a second time, I was livid. And it was pretty much anyone that they were going to pick other than, uh, you know, well, yeah, I, I was I was not thrilled. So I was not thrilled with the way they handled that draft. It, I think it's fair to say, you know, how could you know Malik McDowell was going to do what he did? At the same time, there were questions about him. Like he, he was he was not a he was not a 
high confidence kind of pick. There was a reason he slipped to where he did. Um, and anyway, so I I fought them for being in the position to have to pick him in that 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 spot um, more than actually taking McDowell. I think if he puts on a helmet, we're probably talking about him being one of the top tier defenders on this team. Hate to say it. So I, my point is I don't fault uh, John Schneider and right, right. those guys because I, I, I think uh, it's just an unfortunate tragedy, you know? Yep. Yeah, it's easy to look at the result. I agree with Brian. I think there was some process mistakes in that pick, though. I think they got too cute and it had been a problem for them. And I think they actually traded in three times before they picked McDowell. That's right. They let Jacksonville oh. jump them for Cam Robinson, who like became a pretty good left tackle for them. It reminds me of the Frank Clark situation a little bit in that yeah. there were kind of questions around surrounding him a little bit. Well, okay, maybe it's not fair to compare those two, two situations, but I think you get my point of like, I think the Seahawks have an ability to scout and draft defensive linemen, and and uh, I think McDowell would have been a good pick. Yeah, the the player might have worked out. I really wanted them to take an edge rusher that year. I know because I Avril and Bennett were getting old. I love TJ Watt. That was the guy I thought would be perfect for them. So it hurt me that they passed on him twice. But yeah, it's easy to say like the McDowell pick was stupid because he got injured and never played. But there was a lot of guys excited about that pick. I remember that Stephen White guy from Bleacher Report wrote an article. He thought he was like the steal of the draft. He thought in the Seahawks scheme he was going to rip it up. So that, the thing that bothered me more was all the trade downs and just it fit their, just their trend of getting a little too cute. And they like added a fourth round pick, which they used on like Tedrick instead of picking where Ramchek went. You know, it was it just didn't. Well, do you remember where the Seahawks originally were supposed to pick in that draft? This was the 2017 draft. Do you remember what what number? 25. It was 25. It was 25. So I mean, they went the guys that went after after like the Jabil Preppers, Takaris uh, Tack McKinley, Tredavious White, Taco Charlton, David Njoko. TJ Watt, Ruben Foster, Ryan Ramchick, Kevin King, Cam Robinson. A lot of good players. Damn. It's a lot of good players. And one of my challenges overall and why I get so frustrated with the Seahawks in the first round handling the way they handle it is I believe that, you you know, you need to get the blue chip player. And sometimes I feel like they're trying to get the right value and trying to like accumulate picks. And I understand why you want to accumulate picks and how much of a crapshoot it is. But again, historically, if you look at where blue chip players come, like there is a strong tendency for them to come earlier in the draft. Um, if you look at the Hall of Famers, the amount of Hall of Famers that were picked in the first round versus all other rounds combined is like similar. So like I just I think they outsmart themselves sometimes. And I think they should stick where they are and take a great player and, and, and move on. And it's just that easy. That draft is so frustrating from the Seahawks standpoint. They could have come away with like such a crazy haul. Like Juju Smith-Schuster went like a pick after post well, well, after McDowell got picked, next player after McDowell, Buda Baker. Then uh, they don't take Kittle. Dalvin, they take Dalvin Cook? Think of how excited Nathan would have been if they had gotten Dalvin Cook. But then the, there's the George Kittle stuff too in that draft. Yeah. So imagine you had Kittle and one of those guys with – Carson and Moore at the bottom, like that's a franchise altering. Like what the Saints did that year with Ramchick and Kamara and Lattimore. Well, and I wanted uh, a Wuzier, um, was a corner I really was high on. 
Like <laughs> they, passed, they passed on him and then it was McDowell and then they passed on him and picked, you know, Posick and, and like it was, he went two picks after Posick. Like, yeah. So that, that draft, I think, I mean, just, just to remind everyone, fuck Tom Cable. Just had to get that in. Sorry. I think you got to fuck John Schneider, dude. I think that was John Schneider. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. Repeat that sentence. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I I think you gotta, you gotta consider that. I mean, I'm serious. I'm looking at this. This is so painful. Cooper Cup, Alvin Kamara went in the third round. They passed on not just Kittle, but also Eddie Jackson and Carl Lawson and Josh Reynolds and Tariq Cohen to take Tedrick Thompson. The Tedrick Thompson one. Is really tough. That's what I mean. That, that like the hey, Rams are crazy draft here. Where'd Kittle go here? I, can't I have a question. Are we one hundred percent sure the Tedrick Thompson pick will end up being bad? Yes. And any <laughs> Galladay goes one pick after Delano Hill. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, couldn't Tedrick still turn it around? We we were doing this last year with the Fetty. James Conner goes. Two picks, three picks after Naz Jones. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have had Chris Carson. By the way, what the hell happened to Naz Jones this year? Yeah. That's one of the great mysteries. That, that's you one that I'm... About him. Yeah, he was subtweeting the, the yeah. team. Yeah. Did you see him doing that Twitter sheet? Oh, yeah. yeah. Gosh. What did he do? I didn't see. It's like favoriting and retweeting like anti-Pete bullshit. Like... Um... Well, and there was some, some reporter was some reporter had something had asked some question about why he wasn't playing or something like that, and he like quote tweeted it and was like, "Yeah, it's a good question" or something like like, yeah. He for a while there, he was all over. He was making it known that he he thought he should be playing. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to help his cause. That that usually works really well. I mean, those aren't Pete decisions, by the way. Like that comes from the defensive line coach is is who's setting that, and then the defensive coordinator. Like, I'm not saying Pete's like has nothing to do with it, but I have a feeling that, I mean, his defensive line coach was really pushing Puna forward. And I don't know that you can fault him for it. Like the, what we heard at the end of the year, it kind of got on silent for most people, but Pete said, yeah, we're really excited. We've moved Naz Jones to five tech. So he's now a defensive end in their mind. And, and so like, He's he's out of the defensive tackle rotation. I don't think you can give Pete too much of a pass here because part of the reason that the defensive line coach had to keep pushing for Puna is because Pete kept shooting him down. No, I, I I'm not. I'm just saying relative to Naz, like yeah, like I think that something happened there. I mean, he 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 had a strong rookie year. I, I'm guessing there's something behind the scenes because it doesn't seem like it's an on the field talent kind of issue with him. So just guessing. Yep. All right, fellas. Hey, let's wrap there uh, with our wild guessing of the week. Um, that was fun. We'll be we're we'll on Spotify now. We have to say that. Wait, say it. Say it again. We, the Hot Blogger Pod, a Hot Blogger production. Oh wait, Real Hot Talk, a Hot Blogger production. We are on Spotify, the greatest subscription software platform on the internet. It's amazing. Go subscribe to us. Just search Hawk Blogger. We're there. The f if you subscribe in the next 
24 hours, Ryan will buy you season tickets. Interesting. This Wait, we're doing what now? <laughs> <laughs> now? You didn't you didn't say what the season tickets would be for. Uh, you know, so true. Hopefully, you like community theater uh, <laughs> in Iowa. But uh, yeah. Uh, yes, please do subscribe. Subscribe on um, YouTube if you haven't already. Uh, we're growing there. Uh, subscribe on any of your podcasts. Offer. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play, iTunes, all that stuff. So, um, you know, subscribe and, you know, join um, join Patreon. Absolutely is a big deal. So patreon.com slash hawkblogger. And uh, we will be making our donation here uh, to Ben's fund in a couple of months. So I'm uh, going to see if I can get a couple extra tickets. And for people that are patrons, that's a pretty fun night because generally what we do is we go out and I arrange phone calls from players and coaches to patrons. You get to talk to them live. Um, so uh, now is a good time to join and uh, get on the list to, uh, to, to be called by a Seahawks player or coach in just a couple months. All right, guys, that was fun. We will be back in exactly two weeks. We are every other week, Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. Be there. We will see you then. Go Hawks.